0: This morning. Awesome. I think my official title is executive pastor of congregations. Now, I don't know. I, I don't even make this stuff up. Uh, someone just gives me gives me the title. Um, it's good to be with you guys uh, this morning, Matt. Um, next time we do this, I want to, we've never taken up an offering at Midtown, like physically taken up an offering, but I was thinking about pizza boxes going around right now. Wait, just put your cash in the pizza box. Um, Yeah. As Brant said, I get the joy of pastoring uh, the pastors and caring about all of Midtown. I have been at Midtown since we planted uh, the first church. I have been at Midtown since we started Midtown in '01, And uh, the last time I was in this room was the first time you were in this room. And got to do that uh, beautiful walk um, from Memorial Lutheran to here and stood in that balcony and wept um, with and for uh, this church um, just so thankful um, to how faithful the Lord has been to Midtown East, and particularly how faithful God is being to East Nashville through you um, as the church. Um, so just know that um, there's something, there's a bigger thing behind y'all that cares very much about y'all, it um, cares very much about this part of the city, uh, and believes that the Lord's doing something beautiful here. So that said, we're in our final week in Genesis. If you have not been here, welcome. Uh, you've got a lot of sermons to listen to, 13 of them. Uh, it's our final week in Genesis. It's hopefully not your final week in Genesis because there's a lot more books. Uh, where we're stopping uh, here in chapter 12, there's plenty more to uncover uh, for the Lord to use in our lives. Uh, so I would encourage you to read on in Genesis. But this is where we're going to end our collective time in the book. And I want to uh, just remind you, especially if you haven't been here, I'm going to kind of treat you like you maybe have forgotten the purpose of why we got into this. But we began this series with this in mind, that the book of Genesis was written to the Israelites, we believe by Moses, after about 400 years of enslavement in Egypt. Which in Egypt, that was a culture uh, that had many gods, many religions, even worshipped Pharaoh as God. So this was a culture that, believed in worshiping people, putting people in God's place, right? And practicing that. And now they're in the wilderness. Uh, They have been freed, liberated, uh, the great Red Sea moment, right, from Egypt. But a, a way to think about this is they've been freed from Egypt but not entirely free from the Egypt that is inside of them. When you live somewhere for 400 years, just like if I took you to your hometown and you went back to your hometown, you might revert to some of the old ways that you lived, right? It's hard to take the place out of you. And Moses is writing them this book to teach them ultimately this, after living 400 years in a polytheistic culture that worshiped a ton of different things, hey, hey, you cannot forget this is who the Lord truly is. You got to know who the Lord truly is. And I have to remind you of who you are, your identity as those who have been chosen and who have been rescued by the Lord to live as his people. You've been liberated for a purpose. You've been saved to bear his image in the world, to reflect him in this world. And Moses understands something very important. Until we image and see God rightly, know him for who he truly is, we cannot know ourselves rightly and who we truly are. So we come to this story of Abram. This is where we're at in Genesis 12, who would eventually... Have his name changed, you probably know him better as Abraham, right? We will not sing the song. I will not make you endure that. Maybe they're singing it below uh, with the kiddos or above. Where are they at? They're everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Who you would know as Abraham, who God made this incredibly important covenant with. It starts here, kind of begins to understand it in 12 and it ends in 17. But God made this very, very, very important covenant with scholars would argue this is probably the most important part of the book of Genesis, arguably second most important part of the entire Bible, you could say. You could preach the entire Bible connecting back to this passage, so many places in the Bible connect back to this point. And so this is not just going to impact this guy, Abram's life, but it's going to impact Israel's future. And I would hopefully argue by the end of our time together, you will believe that this has impacted your life as well. Okay? So here's the passage, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated And the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, open our hearts and our ears and our eyes, just like you were doing with Abram here. Um, Would you help us to hear your voice and to be willing by faith uh, to follow you where you're calling us to because you don't, call us to go anywhere that you don't go before and with us. We ask this in your name, amen. All right, three things um, we're going to talk about in this passage, or I'm going to talk about, you're going to listen to me talk about, and hopefully will matter to you. Um, Three things, here it is. Um, God's purpose, which is to bless, if you're the note-taking type, God's purpose, which is to bless, God's process, which is faith and then God's promise, which is his presence, all right? God's purpose, bless, God's process, faith, and God's promise, which is his presence. That's really slick with all those Ps, you know? Why, I start with, just with this, why it says God's purpose and God's process. I know it's a story about Abram, but it, this is really a story about what God's doing. And I want you to think about it like that as we get into this, right? This isn't a story just about what Abraham is doing, it's really a story of how Abraham's responding to what God's doing. God's purpose, his process, and his promise. So here we go, God's purpose. I want to connect this a little bit to last week. If you weren't here last week, you'll get a little mini reboot. All right? Coming out of, Brant taught on this, right? You were teaching here last week on the Tower of Babel. Which if we remember about the Tower of Babel, this was a moment at that point in world history where the collective pride of man was once again reaching its pinnacle. It's a good way of kind of summing it up, right? We're, we're trying to do something here. Literally, it says, and they're trying to build a city that is going to reach up into the heavens and to do something that they ultimately said there in Genesis 11, that's gonna make a name for ourselves. The refrain throughout that part of Genesis 11 is let us, let us, let us. And for who? For ourselves. Maybe you could say it like this. We will do it, and we will do it for ourselves, and we will do it for our namesake. That's the message of Babel. That's the passion and the purpose of Babel. You could say it like this. They weren't building a city. They were building an identity is what was happening. So, we will build a city we will build a name. And it says in that also that we're going to do that so that we will not be something. We will not be those who are scattered all over the earth. We don't want to be that. We want to be this. Which for the reader, the audience who is receiving this originally would have indicated something. They would have, they would have understand this. Once again, at Babel, God's creation, his creatures, his people are found resisting, once again, and refusing to fulfill the purpose for with which he created them. The mandate that he gave his great-great-great-great-great grandparents, Adam and Eve, right? You're gonna be fruitful and multiply and what? Subdue the entire earth. You're going to be scattered. That's part of your identity is to go out, right? Not to stay put, not to cluster, to go. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the whole earth. And collectively at Babel they're saying, nope, we're not doing it. We're going to build a city and we're going to decide for ourselves what's best for us. Actually, you think about this, we're going to come up to your level is what we're doing. And God in his goodness, if you remember last week, in their pride still in his goodness, he confuses their language and does what? He scatters them all over the earth. Basically saying this, what I said is going to happen is going to happen. My will is going to be done. You can either participate with that or you can resist that. But even if you resist it, it's still going to get done. And Abram was a child of that dispersion. So even in that dispersing of people, God was saying, I'm, I'm working here. I'm doing something here. He was the son of Terah. I'll give you a little bit of, of knowledge about Abraham here because it doesn't say that right here. I don't think it says it. Yeah, it doesn't say it in here. Son of Terah, right? There's a big, long genealogy at the end of Babel before we get to this passage. And uh, as a son of Terah, growing up in the Ur of the Chaldeans, Right? Sounds like an all-inclusive resort to me. Welcome to the Ur of the Chaldeans, right? Which he has to leave. I think it was in the Caribbean somewhere. Um, The son of Terah growing up in the Ur of the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans were were moon worshipers, right? They worshiped the moon, the moon god. And so God is working at and choosing and speaking to this moon-worshiping pagan named Abram. Like the most unlikely character, which I know that probably shouldn't surprise you, this way, but that's how God works. He finds people who are not looking for him, who are worshiping moon God, right? And actually wakes them up and says, hey, I've got something for you. I'm speaking to you. And so Abram with his wife, Sarah, they settle in Haran there, eventually get to Canaan. But, and the Lord speaks to him. So what's the opening of the story here? The Lord has said to Abraham, what? Go from your country, your people, your father's household, and I'll show you. So the story opens right with what? God speaking. The Lord said. It doesn't say Abram did anything. God spoke. Which at this point in our time in Genesis collectively, but certainly for the original audience again, would also go like this. Where else have I heard God speak and something happens? Where else have I seen that God's work is always initiated by God? Like creation where he spoke at the very beginning into existence, the first thing we studied. He speaks into existence what he wills and he invites his creation to participate in his will. That's what happened at the very, very, very beginning. That's what's happening again now because that's who God is. Abram, I've got a purpose for you. I've got a purpose for you. It's not to build a city to reach me. Instead, I'm going to do something in your life that's going to reach the entire world. My purpose is to bless your life. Yes, my purpose, there's four kind of basic promises in here, to bless your life, to give you a great name, to give you children, and to give you land. It's to bless your life, to give you a great name, but. But here's really where I want us to focus this morning. It's bigger than you. My purpose is not just to bless you. It's to actually do something through you. I'm going to build a people through you. I will, I will, I will. You see that in the, in the text, two and three? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So that. And so this is the purpose of Abram's life. The purpose is to be the one, and I would encourage you to put on your ears here for you, to be the one that has received God's blessing as he chose to give it. And then to realize that he gave and did that work to bless other people out of that blessing. Here's a a metaphor picture. Um, We're designed as God's creatures to be rivers, not reservoirs. Like if, if you've ever studied the Sea of Galilee or the Dead Sea, right? Sea of Galilee is one of the most uh, amazing aquatic bodies of water with enormous amounts of species of fish. And the Dead Sea is the one that you can float in because there's so much salt and there's nothing live in it, right? And they actually have the same water source, I think. I think I've got this right. Same water source, but the only difference between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee is this, the Dead Sea never releases anything. The Sea of Galilee has an intake and an output. And as a result, it's this living, powerfully, uh, beautiful place of life. And the Dead Sea, which is a place that only received, but never gives out, is a place of death. I've chosen you. This is your purpose, to bless you, but to be a river, not a reservoir. Because I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear the word blessing, right, God's blessing, I hear that, I think hashtag blessed, right, like all of our photos that we put up about our lives, right, like I, um, I'm an NSC ticket holder uh, for the soccer club because I'm rich and uh, I can afford that. Um, now we're up in, the, up in the seats behind the supporter section, which that still means I'm rich, by the way. Uh, but occasionally I will get club seats, right, given to me by friends who are richer than I am. If you get the club seat, then you get the wristband, and then you get to go into the Carnival of Wonders, known as the WeHo Club or one of the other tiers, where they serve you unlimited macaroni and cheese and everything else that's horrible for your body. Um, No, but, you know, when you're sitting in those club seats, you go, okay, this is the blessed life. Like, I'm not up in the up in the grandstands with the plebeians uh, that I normally cheer with, right? And here blessed, we have a definition of what that means, don't we? Like be honest with yourself. What that looks like, it's not vague. I've got a really super specific definition of what blessed looks like. And I want that. I want God to bless my life, no doubt. But here, here's kind of the, if I'm being honest with you guys, and I'm encouraging you to be honest with yourself, here's the catch. Um, as long as we agree on the terms of what that means. But that's not, because what we, we're seeing here is an imitation in this. That's not how faith and following Jesus works. Because oftentimes, like verse one here, go from your country, from your people, from your father's household to the land I will show you. Oftentimes, maybe you could almost argue always, it involves leaving something I comfort and value to follow the Lord. Right? I gotta leave something. Which maybe for us, you're like country, father's household, right? Like, hey, we're a highly mobile society, right? Nobody from Nashville's from Nashville. You all have done that already, so to you that's probably not as big of a shock, but to them that would have been literally like uh, an unimaginable ask to walk away from all of that. Maybe for us it's like this, leave your comfort, leave your control, leave your prerogatives, leave your patterns, and leave your preferences. Leave all that and start walking. So one of the great challenges in this, and I don't say this lightly because it, ooh, yeah. He knows what blessed looks like. (laughs) Zero to 60. This is hard to say, but I have to say it because it's true for me too. If the Jesus that we are following isn't asking us to surrender anything to follow him, but he's only adding to our life, if that's your idea of blessing... If Jesus that we are following isn't asking us to surrender anything to follow him, then we're likely in a relationship with a Jesus of our own imagination, not the one of the Bible. Go from your country, from your people, from your father's household, from your control, from your comfort, from what's familiar. Because God's purpose, even in blessing, remember his purpose is to bless, but that isn't for my self-actualization. That isn't for my self-glorification. It's not that we would make a name for ourselves compared to everyone else. That's Babel's quest. That's Babylon's quest. Personal legacy, personal glory. God's purpose for us is to live in the name that we have already been given. That is our, literally, Scripture would say it's our birth right now. As new creations in Christ, those who are in him and who have an identity given to us by him. I'm going to read to you from First Peter 2, 9 through 10. Um, it's probably a really familiar verse, but it can never get old. This is talking about those who are in Christ. But you are a what? You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you might declare the praises of him. Why are you that? Why are you chosen? Why are you a royal priesthood? Why are you a holy nation? God's special possession. That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's the purpose? You've been given this new identity, but it's not so that you can make a name for yourself. It's to walk in who you are in Christ that you might declare his name, right? I'm to be a river of praise, declaring his name and his goodness, not mine. Same purpose for Abram, same purpose for us. Secondly, so if God's purpose is to bless and to, and to create us into this river, secondly is this, God's process, which is Faith. Now I realize um, this is dangerous sometimes when you study scripture, you can uh, make everything too prescriptive and not just descriptive. This is Abram's story, Um, you know, this has happened to him. But I do think that there's a principle here that is consistent throughout scripture that does apply to us. And remember, again, this is a story about what God's doing uh, in and for Abram, um, not just what Abram's doing here. And here's the principle the God often calls you to go before he shows you the destination or all of the things that are going to be required or experienced along the way. That's a functional definition of what it means to walk by faith. God may call you to go, start walking, right? Before he shows you everything. Maybe really simply put, you could say this, it's go then show versus show then go. That's the principle here, and that's the process of faith, right? Go then show is a life of faith and following and depending on the Lord. It's a relationship with the Lord. Show then go is a life of being able to or having to agree or sign off on everything before I start walking. It's agreement before engagement is show then go. Which of those of you who are married in this room, you know, right? If I showed you everything that you had to go through in marriage before you said yes, sorry, mom's on Mother's Day here, right? All the mothers are like, I wouldn't have done that, you know? I mean, seriously though, we all know that, right? I mean, I sit with premarital couples all the time. I'm like, y'all are crazy to say yes to this if you don't have Jesus, because he's the only one who knows the future, and he's the only one who can walk you into the through the present and into it, right? Show then go is agreement before engagement. If we could see it all, we'd never go. We'd never walk. We'd never take the journey. Show than go is demanding understanding versus offering obedience. It's pride versus humility. So God calls him to go. And man, I hope this makes sense. God calls him to faith. It's really not about where he's going. I mean, it is. Do you hear it though? Like this is like Abram getting saved. God's calling him to faith. He's a pagan. And he's calling him to himself. He's calling him to faith in God, in me. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to reveal to you as you begin to walk it out. And so, what did he do? I mean, it's powerful verses. So, Abram went. (laughs) He went. Which again, this is, is crazy. Earlier, we, if you read in 11, you'd know Sarah was barren, right? His wife was set, they're 75, 75. Is there anybody in here who's 75? No, right. So someone way older than anybody in this room, right? Who's lived a lot more life than anybody in this room. Who's hopeless at this point. Who in that culture is childless, therefore he's airless. He has no one to have his name continue, right? He has no future prospects. And he's asked to leave his country, right? His people, his father's household, which is basically saying this, risk all of your reputation, there's gonna to be tons of family conflict over this. Try to explain like God, I know it's, we worship the moon God, but this other God, right, spoke to me and he told me to do this. Imagine explaining that to your relatives. Loss of control, everything, and he went at great cost. Romans 4 said that Abraham, how does it say it exactly? Abraham against all hope, hoped. (laughs) You hear it? Against all hope. He hoped. Which if you're hopeless this morning, let me just tell you, if a 75-year-old moon worshiper can do it, God can do it in your life. He can, he can actually stir you to follow him into things that seem impossible. It's never too late to follow the Lord. And no, Abram didn't understand at this time that his entire life would be spent. And even at the end of his life, he still would not see the complete fulfillment of what was promised to him here. He had spent his whole life on that journey. Hebrews 11 talks about that because that journey was going to ultimately find its fulfillment in Jesus. That offspring that gets talked about to your offspring, this is really like language nerdery here, but it's, it's a singular, not a plural. It's not talking about all of your offspring. It's talking about a single seed. To your seed, I will give this land. It's, it's pointing to Jesus, right? Abraham is imaging what is to come but he never sees the full fulfillment of the promise. Let me read this out of Hebrews 11. Check my time. We're close. By faith, Abram, when called to go to a place he would later receive as as his inheritance, he obeyed and went. And even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he, its Abraham, or it's Abraham at that point, he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she was considered him faithful. She considered him faithful, who had made the promise. Who's the faithful one? God. And so from this one man, as good as dead, came the descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Say that seven times fast. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show they're looking for a country of their own, a better country, a heavenly one. Abram started to walk, he went by faith. He said, I'll go and I'll let you show me what this is really all about. I'll trust you, I'll put my faith in you and he went. Literally to his grave, not seeing all the things that were promised, but that we know were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, who was the one who what also left his father's household. Why? Not to come cursed, but to bless by his sacrifice, his people and his creation. So for us, let me ask you this question. And I'll make one last point and then I'll be done. Where are we asking, or where are you asking maybe, where am I asking uh, for clarity where God is just simply saying, um, I'm asking you to have faith to follow me. Like most people, I talk to a lot of people about decision-making all the time. It's pretty much all I do is what it feels like. And I can't tell you how many conversations I have about, oh, I'm just not clear, I'm just not clear, it's not clear. And yet when they talk, they sound real clear. They just sound afraid. And I oftentimes will say to people, why aren't you asking for, praying for courage? It sounds like you know what to do. You're just afraid to do it. And that's understandable. But God, he's not going to give you more clarity if you've already got it. You just might need to be asking him for the courage to follow him. Where am I asking for clarity when I really need to be asking for the courage to walk by faith? Because God had to be doing something supernatural in the heart of Abram, right? Like we know that we come, faith in scripture, Ephesians says faith is a gift, right? So God's got to give faith. So Abram's not like, let's be like Abram, right? No, God had to do something in his life supernaturally for these actions to happen because everything he's doing here, just think about it, works against all reason, all logic and all rational thought. Why would he do what he's doing? He sounds crazy. So I invite you to maybe do this this week. If you're, if you're in this God's process, right, would you ask God for faith? Like, instead of talking to God about all the things that we want him to change, which we can do that, but would I ask him for faith or would I ask him for courage or would I ask him for conviction or would I ask him for joy? right? Not change things so I can be happy, but would you actually give me joy in the midst of my circumstances? Because for me let, me, let me just tell you this, when I'm asking God for clarity, that's oftentimes a safe and less difficult way to swallow the fact that I'm really expressing doubt and unbelief. That's kind of a a very high surface level way of saying, I'm asking God for clarity, but really deep down, I'm afraid and I'm doubting and I have unbelief that God's gonna be who he says he's gonna be. Which is okay, because we can express those things, right? I can express a lack of faith. I can express doubt. Remember the man who said, I believe, help me in my unbelief, right? We're allowed to do that as Christians. So instead, ask God, Would you give me the faith? Would you give me the courage? Would you give me the faith to follow you? So God's purpose, God's uh, process, and lastly, God's promise. And I promise we're almost done. (laughs) I'll try not to break that promise. Uh, In verses 2 and 3, all of this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. All this. Yes, he is declaring his purpose, but he's also giving a promise here. I will, I will, I will, and you will be blessed. It's not just a statement of purpose. It's a promise God is making to Abram. Just to say this, God, his expressed will, his purpose, is always confirmed and carried by God's promise. He never tells us his purpose without giving us a promise attached to it. Which is beautiful because by the grace of faith, right, we see faith working in Abram, he starts to journey, he starts to walk. So he went. He was 75, he took his wife, his nephew, and they set out um, for the land of Canaan, traveled as far as the great tree of Morah at Shechem at the time. The Canaanites were in in the land. And then what happens? The Lord appears to Abram. So he spoke to him first and now he appears to him. Right? Which is... It's easy to miss, but it's different, right? Like God is saying, okay, you've taken this step. I'm actually going to appear to you. I'm going to be present with you, which should matter. It will matter to us here in a second when I read it out of John 14. I'm going to be present. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to remind you of what I told you when you started the journey, right? To your offspring, right? Kids and land. That's what I said to you in the first part of this. So what is God doing? He's actually, as he starts to walk, God meets him with his presence and he waters that faith with his word and with his person. Start walking. I'm going with you. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to give you my word again. And I'm going to be present with you. So why does that matter for you and for me? Scripture says this, all of the promises, every single promise in the Bible, of God are yes in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 1-2. So we can, you and I can, step into that process of faith. Start going and watch him show us. But we do it from a different place than Abram. You and I do it from a different place than Abram. Because our faith has so much more history and experience to inform it than Abram's did. We have, just simply because we have the the entire canon of scripture, but we have and know and have seen things that Abram hadn't. Ultimately, we have Jesus. That offspring that would bring the real blessing. And his promises that are more fully fleshed out, you know, what was kind of black and white in the Old Testament is in technicolor, right, in the New Testament. Fully fleshed out. And we have those promises and we have him, Hebrews says, to anchor our hearts in the reality of what is guaranteed by Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. This is John 14. Listen to all the I wills in here. Saying this to his disciples before he goes to get crucified. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You're going to doubt. You're going to be afraid. You're going to have unbelief. You're going to struggle with what's about about to happen. It's going to be tough. Right? But don't let your hearts be troubled because I don't break my word. I make promises and I keep my promises. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? What's that? It's a promise. I'm going somewhere to prepare a place for you. I'm making you a promise right now. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, to be with me so that you may be where I am. Promise. You know the way to the place where I am going. He goes on to say this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Promise. You see it? Who? The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him the Holy Spirit, because it neither sees him or knows him. That's a fact and a promise. The world's not going to understand what you're doing because the Holy Spirit is going to lead you in places that the world's not going to get. But he's going to be with you. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Promise. I will not leave you as orphans. Promise. I will come to you. Promise. Promise, 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 promise. All right. So why does that matter for us to end the sermon, to end this time? Well, at the very end there, Abram does a couple of things. He goes, he travels through the land as far as the great tree of Mora at Shechem and the Lord appears to him. And so when the Lord appears and makes this promise again, he builds this altar and he worships the Lord. That's what it would, would have meant to them for them to build an altar. It's a sign of worship. And then he goes a little further and what does he do again? He builds an altar. So let's let's take a little encouragement from our father Abraham, Abr, Abram at this point, all right? He paused, think about it like this. He paused to worship the Lord amidst the journey. He paused to worship the Lord amidst the journey. And why is that important? That, that, you guys are going to have to give me a little liberty here. That great tree of mora. I did a little bit of reading and research on that word mora. Um, that, that word mora means teaching. Um, it's a teaching tree. Um, maybe we should think of about like this. We pause at the great teaching tree to worship amidst the journey. Because... Remember, the Canaanites, uh, they were still in the land. The Canaanites were the enemy, right? So I pause to worship the Lord at the great teaching tree. In the midst of my enemies, believing the promises of God. Do we, do we do anything different here this morning? You hear it? I know it's a bit of a stretch. Stretch with me. We're pausing at the great tree, but it's not the great tree of Mora. The great teaching tree for you and I is the cross, Right? You know, cursed is he that hung upon a cross, but he took the curse. Right? Because his purpose wasn't to curse us, but it was to bless us. He took our curse that we might be blessed. And so we worship just like Abram. We pause and we worship on this journey to remember things like this. We're not in the promised land right now. And we're not able to make this land the promised land right now. God promised us we couldn't do it. Right? Some of God's promises are the things we don't want him to promise us. I promise you, you can't do this right now. You are to seek and settle the good of the city that you live in, Nashville. You're exiles like they were in Jeremiah. Seek the good of the city and settle in this city, but never settle so much that you stop seeking a different country because this is not home. This isn't your real home. Like Abram, right? We get to the end and realize, I'm looking for a different country. So the life of a Christ follower, it's why it's so incredibly important that you have this space, that you're gathered together as Christians on the east side of Nashville. We don't worship at the final destination. We worship along the way. Why not to make God do something? God doesn't do something because we worship him. We worship him because he did something. We worship to remember and have our hearts strengthened in his promises in the difficult times amidst the enemy in the challenges. Why? So that I can continue by faith to walk in what I know is true. God's love, his grace, his promises that yes, we taste in spirit in part now, but one day we'll know fully. So it's why, I think it's in Hebrews, it says don't give up. Don't give up gathering. Don't give up worshiping that you would be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Keep doing this not to make God do something, but because he's going to do something in you through this, that you would taste the blessing that we already have in Christ, that we might be rivers of that same grace to the world around us. Now I need to pray. Here we go. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you uh, for your word. Teach us now, uh, Lord, through your worship and in this response of your goodness and of your love. uh, May we take the risk of following you and seeing how you reveal uh, yourself to us uh, through and by faith, uh, which we know is a gift from you. Uh, Thank you that we don't have to work uh, to get to you and we don't have to muster up faith to follow you, but we just simply ask you to give it to us and strengthen us in it in your name. Amen.